Hello, you are listening to FatCast. I am Leslie, and with Woo. me, as always, is Marianne. <laughs> that's, her cack- that's her cackle. <laughs> I think that listeners are probably familiar with my cackle by now. Of course, you know, I that's that's one of your, that and the woo are your sort of trademark. My signature, I have a signature cackle. Is that's that like you saying, it's, it's, well, what did, you know, I know Wayne always said, excellent, what did Garth say? well together they did party on wayne that's true that's yes party on we have to start saying that because we're (laughs) huge you know nerds in our 30s does that mean i have to bleach my hair and get those big black heavy frame glasses because actually maybe yeah maybe i should be garth because i could brush out my hair and it would look like that and i already have the glasses this is so true. We most need to, of uh, most of my blue is washed out, so I do have some excessively blonde parts. We could just get you a um a baseball hat, and you could be oh. Wayne. Yeah. Could I wear a cloche instead? <laughs> <laughs> That's really not in keeping with the character. <laughs> <laughs> and instead of drumsticks, I will have actual chicken drumsticks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like it. Wow, we're we're starting things off right on topic. <laughs> it's it's going to be a good episode. I feel it. Our subject is actually um, spending the holidays with your family. And I think Marianne has uh, communicated this on Twitter and gotten some, you know, ideas for stuff that we should talk about. And if you want to pick one to start with. I, I will pick. I will pick the first one um, from our, our friend on Twitter, Dominique, and that's mm-hmm. how to deal with everyone whining about eating holiday food and wanting to lose weight starting January 1st. My number one holidays annoyance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because everybody's like, oh, I'm so bad. And then they set New Year's resolutions. Um, I don't I don't set New Year's resolutions. I don't remember you ever doing it either. I don't really, I don't, I, I've, I've always actually been opposed to resolutions for a few reasons. Um, what's interesting, though, is last year for the first time, or actually this year, for the first time, I set a couple of, like, vague goals, mm-hmm. which I actually did meet over the course of the year, so that sort of flies in the face of my belief that resolutions are fucking stupid. But <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the kind of resolutions that people choose. Like, yeah. I find weight loss resolutions to be self-defeating from the get-go i mean they're unsustainable Mm -hmm. so maybe that's part of where the bad resolution rap comes from and i also really violently hate that um my gym as of january 1st becomes a freaking madhouse of epic proportions because like january 1st everybody's all hey i'm gonna start going to the gym because that's what people resolve to do yeah and then they just clog up all the machines and i can't get in the pool and yeah it's it's very upsetting <laughs> Tell but what's interesting kids to get off your lawn <laughs> what's what's interesting though because your mention of of something being unsustainable and going to the gym i think is a positive yeah um you know if you can afford it and you have the resources um i think it's an awesome thing if if it's within your power to do but even that often proves unsustainable because usually by late March, all of those people are gone and it's back to, you know, the normal 
routine of of you know people who have been going there for years. So I think some of that though is predicated on weight loss goals. I'm going to go to the gym and lose X number of pounds. I'm going to go to the gym and whatever. And then when they don't see that, all of the positives that they may or may not be experiencing from regular exercise are not a motivating factor. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter if you feel better, if you weigh exactly the same thing, or heaven forbid, have gained weight. Yeah. That was sarcasm. I'm sorry, I'm sniffly. <laughs> I I have, I should also mention that I've been sick for, like, I, I've been sick across many dimensions for, She's not <laughs> like, kidding. eons. She, she and I, her husband came to Orlando, and we went to Perkins, and had ridiculous <laughs> breakfast food. It was so and ridiculous. And my husband sick. I did. I think I may have given him, I mean, it was, Den- it was my husband's virus, but I think I may have actually communicated it to Ed because I hugged him. And well, also because right, D poked him and said, "There, I just got you sick." Oh, so there you go. The blame to D. Okay, then it is it is my husband's fault then. Good, <laughs> I feel better. I feel I feel I feel a great weight has lifted off my shoulders. But yeah, I I have been interdimensionally sick for eons and and millennia, and um, that's probably why my voice sounds very. You You're know, still not whooping. I'm not. No, I was I was telling Marianne I think I might have the whooping cough. <laughs> but she complained that I did not make the whooping noise, so I cannot possibly have the whooping cough. So, anyway, back to the family whole, the, holidays. The topic. Yes. Um, New Year's like was, resolutions. Yeah, I feel like there was also a part of that. One of the interesting things with um, my husband's family, which is much, much, my family at this point um, has, uh, I think, three people that actually communicate left. Um, my husband's family is is vast. And, and enormous. And, um, are you as calling re- them fat? <laughs> some, some of them are. But what's hilarious with his family, because it's, you know, on the one side, the, the not so vast side um, is uh, a, a really hardcore Italian American. Um, on his mom's side, it's like, I think, Russian and German or something like that. But, you know, these are, these are not small people, um, nor are they small eaters. And one of the things that often fascinates me about spending holidays with my husband's family and, and extended family is that there's this weird tension, like not so much directly with his parents, although to some extent it happens with them too, but like with all of his millions of aunts and, and, and their families, um, between eating an enormous amount of food and yet sort of flagellating yourself for, you know, like, oh, I'm, I should be on this diet or I've been on a diet for, you know, uh, three years or whatever. Um, and it's this weird, like, I can't tell you how often I will be there, you know, and usually I'm the fattest person in the room at these gatherings, um, you know, and, and have people like, you know, oh, eat more. Did you get some of this? Take some of this. Oh, this is fantastic. Have some of this. Da, da, da. And then when you actually sit down and eat, um, people are all talking about, you know, I've read about this diet in Woman's Day and, you know, I've been eating, you know, I don't know, oranges for six months or, <laughs> or my cognitive dissonance. My, and my favorite was one time, this wasn't actually a holiday, but it was sort of a family gathering. I was sitting with, um, one of his, uh, his aunts and, um, a couple of her daughters and they were talking to, I think his grandma, I forget who was present, but they were talking to someone else in the room about this fantastic recipe they had for, like, quote, unquote, and I'm making quotes, air quotes here, guilt-free um, cannolis that are made, <laughs> made, no, 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 they're made with, like, 
fat-free cottage cheese. Uh, you text messaged me about this. I did what? because What's I'm sitting on? there. I'm listening to this, and I swear to God, I'm like, this is like a crime against cannolis. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's unthinkable that you could even call that. That's not a cannoli. That's that's a fucking abortion. <laughs> it's, it, it is really, really terrible. Oh, my and God. And it's also like... How much guilt do you feel eating a fucking cannoli anyway? Like, I I wasn't aware that they were massive conveyors of guilt to begin with. I'm like, they're delicious. They're fat. I mean, they're they're sort of, I mean, they're fat heavy, but they're no more fat heavy than any other dessert, really. They're mainly, I, mean, I think it's cheese hatred, really. I think it's people who have extreme cheese guilt, which is something that you run into a lot. I feel like with the, like that's one of the sort of evil foods that we, you know, sort of feel I, guilty. I think I've just surrounded myself with cheese lovers. I mostly am surrounded by that too, but you can imagine I was I was compl- I'm listening to this whole thing like, you know, oh, and you use a fat free cottage cheese yeah. and 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 I think you use like Splenda or something Ugh. instead of I mean, <laughs> I'm literally sitting there like if I actually like retch out loud, it's going to be so embarrassing. <laughs> I oh I wish it was a video podcast for but, the face <laughs> I'm making right now. But this this is an example of a situation where I'm having to listen to this conversation and trying. I mean, because this isn't family that I know that well, I wasn't normally. My knee jerk reaction in these circumstances is to sort of dramatically change the subject, yeah. or you know, to just sort of excuse myself, you know, and and go talk to someone else. But sometimes with family that I don't know that well, I'm you know, reluctant to do that because I don't want to cause drama because, you know, in big families that's like, you know, endemic anyway. Um, So, you know, I I kind of was sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, I I feel really lucky that I can laugh at this inside my head and also that I could reach out to Marianne via text message and be like, oh my God, you will not believe the recipe that I am hearing (laughs) right now. And that sort of helped me keep sane in that moment. Um... I don't know how that works for as a tip for someone else. I think I feel like, you know, sort of keeping um, trying to keep a sense of humor um, and trying to not let the these little, you know, wormy food hating thoughts sort of actually burrow into your brain instead, just sort of, you know, like being like, wow, that's preposterous being, you know, going in prepared to hear that and feel and and just sort of laugh at it but you know what's really useful is if you have someone like if you have a you know non-diet buddy that you could like text or even just put on twitter um you know like wow i you know so and so just said the most ridiculous thing about you know like if you only eat you know if you only eat like raw tofu for for 10 days you'll lose 50 pounds you know like if you can if you have somewhere to sort of put that out there and and have other people sort of give you support by saying wow that's completely ridiculous that can also be really helpful to having some kind of support even if it's one person or if it's like you know the twitterverse well one of the things i was thinking about i was as i was driving around this morning that's kind of relevant to all of the questions that we're getting mm-hmm. The unfortunate reality is that the holidays are a really emotionally charged time in general. And like as much as I love them, there is a large amount of stress with the holidays and it's not the best time to establish brand new boundaries. 
you need to spend the rest of the year establishing these boundaries with your family, and then you can enforce them at the holidays. I think that way, yeah, you know, that way you're not going in to. Sorry, I was sitting up. I was laying down earlier. Now I'm sitting up. I was being lazy. It was you're great. Shif- you're shifting the fat, and that takes effort. It does. <laughs> well, this is my, like, it's a serious topic, so I have to ha- get in, like, my, like, it's a serious topic. You pose. have to have good posture when you're being serious. Well, I, I gesture, you know. <laughs> and I can't gesture when I'm all like, oh, cozy bed. <laughs> um. <laughs> no, I think, I, think you, I think you make an excellent point, though. I think that... Um, it is incredibly difficult. And those of us who have tried, at, you know, which I have done in the past, um, if you try to establish boundaries at the holiday, it usually does not go well unless you have extraordinarily open-minded family. And if you had extraordinarily open-minded family, then it probably wouldn't be much of a problem yeah. in the first place. But what it also does, if you have family members, because I know part of the thing about the holiday is that it's all these people you don't see during the year. Mm-hmm. So it's all these people with whom you've had no chance to establish boundaries. Mm-hmm. But if you have boundaries with at least some of the people there, you can get up and leave and have another conversation because y- your sister or your cousin or your brother's girlfriend or you know your own person who's there with you knows that you don't want to talk about shitty cannoli recipes. You know, it it helps to have a release valve. And Mm -hmm. if your mom knows that, you know, the topic of dieting or the topic of your body or the topic of your haircut or your tattoos or whatever is off limits, Mm -hmm. you've got someone who's a little safer to talk to Mm -hmm. and can at least give you a break from all of that. You've got someone who has your back, which to some extent my husband usually does like I can tell you for sure if he had been there listening to the cannoli recipe he would have blurted out that sounds like the most disgusting thing I've ever heard well because that's that's how he is and he can get away with it well I think also the existence of that recipe would just offend him yeah (laughs) like whether you were there or not fat politics aside yeah that's an offense to cannoli it is It is. And that would have been, but even that is coming from, like you said, that's coming from a slightly different angle. That would be him more saying protecting the integrity of the cannoli as opposed to (laughs) like this is a preposterous, (laughs) you know, conversation that we're having. And I mean, sometimes, sometimes that's good enough. Yeah. And it is. It's nice. It is good enough to be able to know that I could hypothetically have gotten up after that conversation and gone to my husband, which I actually think I wound up doing eventually, and telling him about it and having him be like, oh, my God, like, that's horrifying. (laughs) That and uh, that is, I mean, because, you know, it's 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 easy when you're in these circumstances to sort of feel outnumbered, Um, you know, particularly if you're dealing with a family that is very, very diet centric. And, you know, I, I feel like I don't know if, if my husband's family is more so than anyone else's family because my, you know, experience with large families has been pretty limited. But, you know, I feel like his extended family can be very, very fixated on diet and weight loss. And it, it's sort of it's sort of weird for me. Like he has this one aunt who is who's a wonderful person, but is I mean, she has been dieting for and I've, you know, been with my husband for a long ass time you know like wait like 12 years 13 years now um and as long as i've known her she's been dieting and she's always been the same size 
And I imagine that's frustrating for her. But, you know, holidays probably aren't the time to point that out. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, when she starts going off on her, you know, oh, I signed up for Weight Watchers again. You know, usually I find myself just sort of smiling and nodding and then asking her about her cats or, you know, sort of moving on. Like I try one thing rather than, you know, drawing hard lines, what I very often will try to do with family that I don't know that well and that I don't have these boundaries with already is... I, I, I really try to neither, you know, commend nor condemn. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I, I'm very reluctant to be like, oh, that's great, but I'm not going to be like, wow, you suck. I, or I just feel like I, I work hard to sort of acknowledge that these words have hit my brain and then try to talk about something else really quickly. That's often my uh, strategy as well. I have, I'm the oldest grandchild, and I have a number of cousins who are younger than I am who are sort of in that prime teenage dieting frame of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one cousin who's like 12 or 13, and she is convinced she is a whale, and she posts a Facebook about it. And I'm like, what are yeah. you even talking about? But when she starts, I leave. Because yeah. at a certain point, like, I think a lot of the holidays is about politeness. Yeah. Like, if it's at my house, then my rules are in effect. You know, when we go to my grandparents' house, we all bow our head and say grace. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not something we do at my house, but I'm not going to make a big deal about it somewhere else because the rules of the house in which you're visiting are the rules that are in effect. Yeah. And so I don't feel like I have the right to... Did you know, sort of dictate what other people are talking about. What I have the right to do is protect myself if I need to. Mm-hmm. And I'm not above going and hiding in the bathroom for five minutes and text messaging a friend and going, oh my <laughs> God. Can we yeah. even deal with this? Let's talk about something else for just a minute. Yeah. Resetting. And sometimes, like, sometimes you really do just have to step aside and do the whole self-protection thing. Because there's no way out of it. And sometimes I, even at the holidays, elect not to go to certain gatherings Mm -hmm. because it's not something I can deal with and I can't dictate it to those other people. What I can do when they ask why I didn't go is say, I can't handle all of the body shaming discussion that goes on. Right. And let them deal with that. I sort of think of this stuff on a level with um, almost with like if we're talking about politics, yeah. um, that it's one of those subjects where, you know what, some people can have like really long family conversations that get heated and come out of it and be fine. Um, but there are certain conversations where I'm going to wind up getting really upset. And it's kind of it's better in in that environment in someone else's home to just avoid that subject. Like if, you know, one of my husband's elderly relatives starts going on about how Obama was not actually born in the U.S. (laughs) or, you know, is like a secret Muslim terrorist or whatever, um, you know, I I am very likely to just sort of be like, "Uh uh-huh, I'm going to go check out the buffet table. Or we have a tangent? Yeah, go for it. Okay, I totally want to have a tangent. It was a coworker of mine's birthday, and so we took him out to lunch. It was like a friend of mine at work who was his supervisor and him and me, and we went to Denny's, and it was great. 
But on the way back, we were discussing politics. And in a lot of ways, we have similar politics with our sort of incredibly liberal social politics. Mm -hmm. But he has he's got a case of the Islamophobia. Mm. And one of the reasons he has a case of the Islamophobia, he says, is because you don't see everyday Muslims going around protesting what the extremists are saying. And I'm like, well, you do. (laughs) All the time. And B, I mean, it it comes out in conversation, but I'm certainly not going around protesting, you know, anything else either. I've I've got bills to pay and a job to do and a social life to maintain and art projects and a novel and all of this stuff. People are just trying to live their goddamn lives. When really you should give all that up and carry a sign on a stick. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, as someone who does not identify as Christian, it's a, it's a poor analogy to be like, well, I'm not out there protesting all of the Christian extremists mm-hmm. since I'm not part of the subgroup. But it's work with me on this analogy. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. I got so you. I'm just kind of like, you know, people, chill the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Everyday Muslims have everyday lives doing their everyday things. And just because they're not like reminding you every five seconds that they, agree, you know, they agree with you that extremist Islamic policy is bad. OK, yeah. that doesn't mean that everybody is falling into that, that, that line of belief. Let's you know what I, to, to sort of complete the, the tangent. You know what yeah. I really, really love? What do you love? I love the fact that. Um, you don't see Muslim people going around asking to be congratulated for not blowing shit up in the same way you hear, say, um, cisgendered men asking to be congratulated for not raping people. Yeah. And I find that really fascinating. (laughs) Privilege denying dude on Tumblr was shut down. Public service announcement, there's a blog. Why was it shut down? Um... Well, the going theory is that somebody at Tumblr is a cisgendered, white, privileged male. (laughs) (laughs) The official explanation, even though the person who runs the the blog purchased the photo used in the macro from Mm -hmm. um, iStock Photo, is that it violates the iStock Photo terms of use. Um, which is kind of a shady bit of interpretation. No one's really sure how that falls. But there's a blog now. Yeah, privilege I, I, denying dude is dead. Long live privilege denying dude. I have um, I've used iStock Photo many many times, and I'm really familiar with their um, terms of use. Yeah, and I'm pretty damn sure that you know that's not if you buy the rights to the piece. That would be like me buying the rights to you know a picture of a piece of cake and using it on my blog, and then the person who drew the picture you know, sort of being like, well, you can't, you're advocating obesity, and that's not what this piece of cake was for. Well, I think the (laughs) actual gist of the argument is that it's being reused over and over and over beyond the terms of the photo's rights or something. I guess it was a one-use situation. But that's not, uh... mm. It's a bunch of bullshit. Obviously, somebody at Tumblr was... If they were printing, if they were printing it, yeah. Um, there are limitations for like impressions. Um, for I guess maybe there maybe there are different licenses for using it online. That if you have more than X number of impressions, um, you can't. It's a shame. What they need, what they ultimately need, is like a um, an open source picture. Yeah. 
that people can, you know, alter all they want and, you know, no one is going to be like, hey, give that back. Yeah. <laughs> and I totally agree with you on that. I mean, I think it's a convenient excuse that somebody used because yeah. maybe some of those hit a little too close to home. But, yeah. Stuff. It also mm-hmm. freaks me out the whole claim that 9-11 was our first experience with domestic terrorism when that's just such a load of bullshit. Yeah. But, <sighs> there. Anyway, well, that was that was a fun tangent. Thank you for letting me have a tangent. What's what? Let's let's uh, throw out another question from the the Twitter nets. Okay, people policing what you eat. The uh, not so subtle hints at not needing dessert or checking out your plate, or to be succinct, holiday meal concern trolling. And my sort of corollary to that was. Uh, the sort of, no, eat more. You can't put some more on your plate. Um, and what uh, Cypher of Tear said was true. I hate the, but it's the holidays. But I know how much I want to eat and not generally you. So it's it's the whole, like, concern people have with what's on your plate, whether it being too much or too little, that drives people crazy during the holidays. It's more food policing. Yeah. What's interesting is that um, my original family of origin um, growing up, I had a lot of food policing in that whole negative direction of, you know, don't take, you know, you don't need another helping or, you know, that's too much or you're not, you know, you shouldn't eat all that. And with my husband's family, it's always been precisely the opposite to the extent that I've literally like I have to sometimes get rude about it. Because, you know, it will literally be, you know, no, no, take, I mean, people like trying to force food onto my plate. And I actually, (laughs) I have to get to the point where I'm like, no, go away. (laughs) Like, I don't want any more food. Like, I will actually, I've learned, I have to raise my voice and be really firm. Because if you're just sort of like, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm good. You know, if I want more, I'll take some. You can say that 20 times and no one will listen to you. So I I really do get very loud and firm about it. Because it's the only thing that makes people, like, you know, move the spoon away. We drove up to see my grandparents one time, um, my husband, Ed, and I. And when we got there... I was specifically there for the acre peas. I'm not going to lie. So I fixed myself a bowl of peas. Um, my, par- my grandparents have a garden. They grow a bunch of stuff, and then my grandmother cooks it in the ways that have delighted me for my whole life. Maybe so, you should explain what acre peas are. Okay. They're, well, they're a kind of pea, but they're not those <laughs> shitty little round English peas because that's a bunch of bullshit. I've never successfully eaten those English peas. It has always resulted in terrible vomiting. So, acre peas, <laughs> you grow them and you pick them. And then when you're preparing to, I guess, prepare them, the processing that's involved, some of them you snap. So you wind up with segments that look a little like a green bean, but they're a totally different texture. And the others you shell, which is you take the outer pod off and you're left with just the pea. So then you have this big bowl of loose peas and little segments of green pea in a pod thing. Then you put it in a pot with a ham hock because we're Southern. Because and what don't you cook with a ham hock like south of the Mason-Dixon line? better with pork <laughs> involved. So you put all of this in a cooker and you season it accordingly and then you cook it. And you cook it 
well past what most people would consider, I think, adequately done. Because the whole point, they're, they're not like mushy. I mean, these are some serious peas. Um, you know, if, if you lightly steam them or whatever you do with green beans, you're going to be eating a bunch of little pebbles. Um, so you cook them a good long time so that everything is soft and the flavors have all mingled and it has a vaguely porky taste. <laughs> This is making me so hungry. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm so sad right now that I don't have any of these. <laughs> but then you eat them, and they're delicious. And if you live in a truly beautiful world, you also have cream corn that was made from corn grown in the garden with the peas. So... That is is a totally beautiful world. (laughs) I'm suddenly really, really, really excited we're going to see my grandparents. (laughs) Oh, my God. We don't do turkey. We do, like, pulled pork and various and sundry other very southern things. Oh, my God, pulled pork. Anyway, let's get back to the story. (laughs) You were going for the acre peas. I was there for the acre peas. The joke when I was a child was that, like... If given the choice, all I would eat would be these peas and some corn Mm -hmm. um, and maybe some boiled peanuts on the side. But I was there for that. So I had my bowl of peas and I'm like happily eating my peas. And we'd had dinner um, at some point earlier and Ed was not hungry. Mm -hmm. But every few minutes, my grandmother would be like, can I get you something? And Ed would be like, no, no, that's okay. By the end of the evening, over a period of three hours, he'd had a very large piece of pound cake, some brownies, some little Snickers miniatures, (laughs) like a can of soda, (laughs) some ham. Like, because every little while she would be like, well, let me get, let me just get some of this or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, or there's stuff in the fridge. You can get whatever you want. Like, it's, and, and she didn't stop until he had eaten adequately mm-hmm. you know it was almost like a um it, it was almost like a requirement yeah. that he was failing to satisfy by not wanting anything i feel like there is for for a lot of families um and i i don't want to say this is good or bad because i don't necessarily think i, I think it is pretty value neutral it can it can turn good or bad depending on circumstances yeah. but i feel like for a lot of families um, food offers an opportunity to nourish people yeah. um, in a way that sometimes is harder to do emotionally in a, in a direct and straightforward way. Um, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, my husband's grandmother, who is pretty aged and is, you know, a hardcore Italian-American woman. I mean, she's like, she's like, you know, if you've seen like, if you saw like the, the grandma in Goodfellas, that's basically her. Um <laughs> And she's a fascinating individual as a result, but she is also obsessed with the amount of food that everyone is eating and not obsessed in a that it's too much way, obsessed in a everyone has to leave the table stuffed um, because that's how that's, you know, her way of sort of showing that, you know, not to say she's not affectionate in other ways, but that's sort of like it's a familial known, understood language for you know nourishing people and for showing that you care about them and that you love them and even now she um, actually recently in the past year has had to move to an assisted living facility and they have you know sort of a dining hall sort of scenario and we'll go whenever we go and visit uh, my in-laws we will go and visit her at her new home and you know usually we'll have a meal with her because that's 
you know, that's what you do. You don't, you don't just sit around. You have to go and eat, like, to hang out. And, you know, she is, you know, and like I said, you get a menu, you order what you want off the menu, and, you know, they bring it to you, and it's, it's you know, pretty, it's bland nursing home type food, but it's it's a nice atmosphere. It's, it does look like a dining hall, so it's, you know, a little more formal, I guess. Like, it's not like just a cafeteria. And she, every time we go, she constantly will say to me, like, I can have a whole meal, and she will say, do you also want this? You can ask them, because they'll bring it to you. And I'm always like, no, Grandma, I'm fine. You know, I've had, I had a whole meal. I'm, I'm really good. You know, well, if you want some of this, or they have different kinds of ice cream. So if you want two different kinds of ice cream, just ask them to bring you two bowls, and you can totally do that. And I'm, you know, continuously like, it's fine. I'm, I'm quite full. <laughs> I assure you. <laughs> how, how old is she? She's in her nineties. Um, I think she's early nineties. I, I'm not entirely certain exactly how old. Well, it, my great-grandma, um, and I spent a great deal of time when I was growing up, um, mm-hmm. and other family members of that generation, I hung out with the old people, and it was really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a big deal to her, not just because it was a an expression of, like, nurturing, but because she grew up during the Depression. Right. And grew up when food really was in truly short supply. And, I mean... Granny DePratter, Willard DePratter, lived in (laughs) North Florida. And I mean, the food, the the food that I truly love, I mean, a lot of it is, is is sort of North Florida poverty food. Yeah. You know, when when you're seasoning things with ham hocks, it's, it's because it's what you've got. And also it's delicious. But, you know, it's collards and it's peas and it's. And it's not the best parts of meat and, and that sort of thing. And I think that for her, because she did the same thing, um, I spent summers with Granny DePratter. Mm-hmm. And it'd be like me and one little old woman and there'd be fried eggs and grits and bacon and pancakes and like all in one meal. Yeah. And I think for her, you know, part of it was nurturing and part of it was also sort of a, a a throwback to her experiences. It's a generational culture that being yeah. able to do that for someone, particularly if you don't have that much, is incredibly meaningful. Yeah. And it's almost a luxury, um, you know, to be at a point where, you know, like, you know, I my my now deceased um grandmother on my, my mother's side was notorious for sort of hoarding like, you know, random stuff yeah. like tinfoil um in the garage and it wasn't it wasn't you know she wasn't like a hoarder like on tv but she had these you know sort of stockpiles of stuff um you know like cleaning supplies and and just random stuff that she kept in the garage and a lot of it you know my mom always used to be like why do you need you know six bottles of of fantastic spray cleaner like why are you gonna are you scared of running out (laughs) and it's more it's that cultural you know sort of even though she had reached a point in, you know, her life and in history in general where worrying about where your next meal or where your supplies were coming from wasn't a problem anymore, you know, I think that that was such an entrenched thing for so many people of that generation that, you know, it is, it it, it persists, even though it was, 
you know, they may have been children at the time, it does influence how, you know, and, and also the funny thing, um, which I've, I've, I don't know if I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but um, when we moved Dennis's grandmother out of her house in Jersey, and she had lived in there, like his, my um, father-in-law grew up in this house, like that's yeah. how long she had been in this house. And the whole basement was like this, this enormous pantry yeah um like literally you know there was a freezer down there that had thousands of dollars worth of of meat that was some in some cases years and years old um because she would just you know she would buy stuff on sale and she would keep it yeah just i guess you know because of that cultural need to sort of know it was there that if something went wrong well you know she had enough food downstairs to feed you know 20 people for six months you know and and keep them part like it is that we, my mom's family is all part of it is that my mom's family is all lds so uh, they do they do actual like food storage right but growing up i just thought everybody had a ginormous chest freezer yeah like, I thought that was totally a normal, rational thing because, like, my my great-grandmother had one and my grandmother had one and two refrigerators with freezers on it. And yep. my parents had one in the basement. You know, go to the basement, get the venison or whatever mm-hmm. mystery meat we had down there. It was... Hey, venison is it, good it, eating, it was, man. Venison is so good. <laughs> like, I've been sad that my uncle don't hunt at all. Mm. I can't go kill my own deer. It's... <laughs> It's difficult. Yeah. I don't have the patience. Um, <laughs> I don't really have a moral objection to hunting, obviously, um, in most <laughs> cases. I mean, I think it should be regulated and stuff, but I also think deer is really delicious. Um, and that's my, that, well, that's and my I think, moment I think of horrifying other also, people for the day. <laughs> I also think if, um, I'm actually <laughs> with you on that, because I've known and had family, most notably in the South, who hunted as much for um, subsistence as they yeah. did for sport. I think sport hunting is problematic to me. But, yeah. you know, yeah, if you're going out, as, you know, I have had aunts and uncles who did, go out and kill a deer and you butcher that deer and you skin that deer and you process all the meat yourself and you freeze it all and, you know, you go through all of that process for the purpose of, you know, feeding your family for, yeah. you know, several months, um, yeah, I really don't have a problem with that, particularly when you consider yeah. the state of, you know, sort of factory farming in this country. I, I don't know that it's much worse to go out and kill a deer that at least has spent its life frolicking in meadows <laughs> as opposed to eating, you know, a, a cow that or a chicken that spent its entire life in a warehouse indoors. So that's my little rant well, Florida, on that. Well, Florida, I mean... We've had such a, an impact on the natural predators, too, that the the population is all out of whack, and mm-hmm. deer don't spend their lives frolicking in meadows. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when there's too many of them, it's really kind of horrific. Well, they, so, they collide in the meadow because there's no room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's depressing. I don't, I just, I remember summers with my grandmother, and it's all venison and government cheese. Mm-hmm. So, because that's, you know, that is what it is. Um this is a long podcast isn't it Uh, a little bit a little bit that's okay though um (laughs) anyway police you you know we feel like we're off topic but i feel also like this is a pretty good illustration that one of the things going on with with family gatherings 
if you have a family gathering to go to, um, because some people don't, and I think it's important to acknowledge that as well, is that you've got people with that cross-generational collide. And I'm never going to convince my grandmother that fat acceptance is a valid thing. Yeah. She's happy I'm happy, Mm -hmm. but she's still going to tell me, you know, how, like, my mom should have weight loss surgery or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I have to know that ahead of time. And I have to sort of brace for it because there's no real way, like, like there's the boundaries that you establish that you can enforce, but at the end of it, you still have to, like, make that choice of whether or not you are mentally capable of dealing with this environment right. of people you don't see very often, the cross-generational collide, you know, all sorts of, we've, we've got people across several different, like, class and socioeconomic levels, that sort of thing. I mean, Which it's, are all, I mean, that's all stuff that really heavily impacts you know, that relationship with food, not just as a social thing, but even just as a physical requirement. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's important. I think, you know, sort of what I would say is that I think it's also important to recognize your family's position and where, you know, various things intersect and how, you know, like you said about your grandmother never understanding fat acceptance. I think, yeah, you know, there are going to be people in your family who are never going to get that it's possible for you not to want to be on a diet and lose weight. And you kind of have to pick your battles. Like you kind of have to, you know, sort of come to a a place of truce where it's like, well, you know, you don't have to understand this, but I'm not going to talk about your diet with you. And And again, these are boundaries that are best set ahead of time. (laughs) I feel like the real work at the holidays is preparing yourself. It's not what you can establish with other people. It's preparing yourself to go into this environment where people are talking about things. And like for, for many several reasons, I didn't, I, I, I didn't see or speak to a large part of my family for about three years. And so I didn't do holidays with them. Um, I I spent one like Christmas at Denny's, which was a really interesting experience. You know, it, it really is like it is in the movies. Um, and having chosen to once again re-enter that sphere, I mean, that's one of those things I have to deal with. I can't dictate to other people what they are going to say. I can only be certain and confident in myself enough yep. to know that, you know, people are going to look at my plate and I have to be able to not give a shit about that because if it's going to ruin my meal – you know, what I, I have to know ahead of time what compromises I'm willing to make on that. Yeah, you can't dictate. In most of these circumstances, you as an individual cannot dictate or control exactly how shit is going to go down yeah. because there's too many vectors involved. So the best thing you can do, as you said, is, you know, sort of prepare yourself. Where am I going to draw lines with myself? At what point do I need to get up and, you know, sort of go to the bathroom, like you said before, or just, you know, step outside and for some fresh air or, you know, go to the kitchen and get a glass of water to come up with sort of escape routes if you need to remove yourself from a conversation. Um, And, you know, like I said, I do think, you know, if you if you have. Um, you know, someone, even if it's someone, you know, a thousand miles away from you, yeah. you can shoot a text message or a chat just, you know, in, in an instant. 
um, that can be helpful if you are sort of on your own with your family and there's no one in your family that you can sort of rely on to. Um, it's a pressure you know. valve. Yeah, it, it just, you know, being able to, knowing that you can just shoot off, you know, on, oh my God, you won't believe what my mom just said to me, um, to someone who will understand and support you sort of pretty unconditionally that, you know, wow, that really sucks, you know, but hey, it's your family, you know, it's the holidays, you'll get through it. Um, you know, having that there to, you know, sort of vent to is incredibly helpful if that's an option for you. Yeah. Um, we've got... Have you gained lost weight discussion with family? And we've also got extended family and concerned body shaming. Um, just about ruins Christmas and puts me off the best potato salad in the world. <laughs> I think that... Who is, who is that from? <laughs> um, one is from Crossbones DJ. Okay. And one is from Beckhead. Okay. So um, the have you gained lost weight discussion... <laughs> I, don't, I don't see my dad all often but I do remember when I was in college I saw him um, for like the first time in a good two years and he said to me that it looked like I hadn't gained that much weight <laughs> from the last time he saw me and I still remember this moment like crystal clear mm-hmm. like wow hello to you too I, I don't think people recognize how incredibly deflating that is yeah And I don't think if these are people you don't see very often that you're going to be able to stop them from asking that. So you need to do some prep work beforehand Mm -hmm. to sort of know how you're going to respond to that. And like, I'm a cheesy person. Like I even like practice things in my head, you know, do a little role play. And and that sort of thing, because then you don't have to, we always talk about staircase wit. You know, uh-huh. where you come up with a thing at 2 a.m. the next day. That's what I should have said. said. Yeah. Well, when you've practiced ahead of time, you don't have to worry about coming up with it then. You just have mm-hmm. to, like, open your Remember mouth and, it. Yeah. and let it come out. <laughs> and I don't think you have to be rude about it, but I do think that having a response you're confident in, you know, whether it's, I don't, you know... I don't feel comfortable talking about my body or it's good to see you too yeah. <laughs> or yeah. whatever it is you and your personal situation, you know, determines is best for you to say. I, I think people need to practice that ahead of time. I managed to, in one single event, totally slam the lid down on that ever happening again from my father, um, who really historically has been the only person um, who has ever felt sort of enabled to make those sorts of comments to me. Um, my mom never has, I think, because my mom has always had such a, a complex and difficult relationship with her own weight, even though she's never been anything I would call fat. Um, but I think because she has that, she tends to be more sympathetic. Like it's, it's yeah. She knows if someone came up to her and said that to her, she would be devastated. So she's certainly not going to say it to anyone else. Um, I think it's really common for the dad or you know the male figure in the family to which, be the one to say that. Because there's a certain amount of privilege and entitlement there that comes with that gender. And I actually wrote a longer blog post about the full event when this happened. But, you know, the short version is that, you know, I was visiting uh, my father in Florida. And um, I forget, we were talking about something. And, like, sort of apropos of nothing, he sort of looked at me and he went, you know, you've gained weight. And I was like, excuse me. 
And I left the room. And this wasn't that many years ago. I mean, this wasn't like I was, you know, a wee fatling, you know, still searching shit out. This was me, you know, like I was at a point where I'm like, yeah, that ain't cool. So I basically said, excuse me. And I went into my old bedroom and I shut the door. And my husband came in a few minutes later and he was like, what's going on? And I was like, and I told him the story. And he was like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) And to some extent, his outrage galvanized me. Because normally, I mean, because, you know, my dad had made comments like that my whole life. So, you know, it's hard with someone that knows you that well and that you have known for so long. I mean, particularly like a freaking parent. Yeah. It's very hard to be like, uh-uh, you know, because they still, no matter how old you get, you know, they have some sort of, you know, vague tinge of authority about them, regardless, for a lot of people, I would say. not That's not universal by any means. But, um, you know, so my husband's aghast reaction he's like you have to say something and I'm like and I literally was like it's not possible for me to say something yeah and you know and he my husband just would not let it go and he kept saying no no you have to say something that's not acceptable and I went out and I basically said to my dad who was completely oblivious that this was at all a problem and totally blew his mind when I'm like yeah you don't get to fucking say that to me ever again yeah and explained you know in in a short you know burst why and he was totally shocked and that was probably the most interesting thing for me was to realize that he had absolutely no idea I mean we tend when when someone says something like that to us and it does deflate us you know the assumption and this is probably particular to women too the assumption is often that they they should know that it was going to have that effect yeah <coughs> Excuse me. And my dad's case, he had absolutely no idea. Like it, it was the equivalent to him of saying, you know, the sun is shining today. And I, you know, it just because he's my freaking dad, and because you know he was sort of present as an encouraging influence um, through all of my dieting, it hit me in a lot. There was a lot of. It wasn't just like those words being said. Yeah. It was like being beat over the head with like a steamer trunk full of baggage. And you know, and I those explained steamer all- trunks are heavy. They really are, and they have the metal bits on the corners. Yeah. Um, so basically, I just was like, yeah, no, foot down, boundary drawn. This is not, you do not get to comment on the size or shape of my body, period. And he was totally cool with that, and he has never, this was years ago, and he's never said a word since. Like, it really highlights how important it can be to go into situations like this with some kind of ally. Yes. It really does, because if Dennis hadn't been there... Um, I like to think I might have said something eventually, but I probably would have gone into that bedroom and like, you know, just sort of sat there and and felt sorry for myself and tried to be like, no, no, it's okay, it's fine, it's not a big deal, you know, and and it was it was the way my dad is. Yeah, and you know, sort of making excuses for it, whereas with you know my husband there to be like dude you wouldn't take that from fucking anyone what is going on like you know this is bizarro land you know that sort of gave me the the push that i needed to be able to say hey yeah this isn't cool at all you know that which i would have said to pretty much anyone else in the world who made that comment well what ed says is that you know your family Families in general know how to push your buttons because they're the ones who installed them in the first place. (laughs) That's true. And I think that I think that's true for a lot of people, that they're great defending themselves in the real world or handling diet talk in the office or, you know, just making it through the day. Mm -hmm. But then when you do stuff with your family, it's a it really is a whole bizarro world experience. 
So I think as much as I hate to, you know, as much as I hate to compare what should be an enjoyable family visit to like girding your loins for battle, <laughs> you know, I, I think a little prep work in this particular vein is is kind of vital to being able to enjoy any of the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And I know we feel so much obligation when it comes to family. Like if you're going to be miserable and there's not going to be anything enjoyable about it, mm-hmm. it, it may be time to start establishing, you know, this year I'm going to go somewhere else for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Which I know is is appalling for a lot of people to consider, but but it's okay. And maybe they'll be pissed at you, but you'll be doing something enjoyable for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then the whole concerned body shaming, because especially with extended family, you don't see very often. You do get that, you know, uncle who comes up to you and is like, well, I'm just concerned about your health. Yeah. Well, it's it's a lot easier to tell a stranger, fuck you. Than it, it is it, your family. It really is because when you tell a stranger, fuck you, there's not a huge amount of consequence to that. Like the stranger might be angry and they might yell at you or whatever, but you can be relatively sure, you know, once you leave that area, you're probably not ever going to see that person again. <laughs> Much less are they going to go tell, you know, your parents that you were a jerk to them, yeah. which, you know, is also hypothetically a problem. Yeah. And, you know, I run into this a lot with... um you know, sort of like extended family. Um, not that I've had a whole lot of concern trolling from Dennis's extended family. Yeah. Um, but I feel like, you know, there's always sort of like, like the door is sort of cracked depending on how I respond to various conversations about diets. Like very often I feel like diet conversation comes up in my presence more often than it comes up in other people's. Yeah. And it's almost like trying, cause you know, his family is pretty sensitive. They're not, you know, they, they, they are unlikely to just sort of, you know, rudely blurt anything out. Yeah. And you know, I'm mostly, but so far as having, you know, an uncle or whatever, um, you know, who just comes up to you. I, I honestly have not had that in a family environment, and I don't know how exactly I would handle that, yeah. aside from wanting to say, fuck you, Uncle Blank. <laughs> it's the same, like, that That does not tend to happen in my family either, but mm-hmm. it's the same thing where I have a rehearsed response just in right. case. <laughs> I imagine you walking around with like a little notebook of speeches. <laughs> you know what it is? It's on my way to a situation when I'm driving there. I do that too. I, yeah. um, <laughs> it's probably not the healthiest of habits, but any kind of situation in my life, I have in my head the disaster scenario. Mm-hmm. So even though I'm totally happily married, like I have the disaster scenario in my head of what if he cheats on me and we get divorced and I have to explain to his mother. Because for some reason, explaining <laughs> it to his mother versus my mother is a million times worse. Oh, my God. You and I are so two of a kind. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like I've imagined, like, several varieties of the worst possible thing happening. (laughs) And I have a handle on it. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be blindsided. So, (laughs) I mean, it kind of sucks that we have to sort of go through life with this, this almost, this extra vigilance about, you know, where you do, you kind of have to, and that's the, the the most successful response is to have a response already. Yeah. And so that you don't have to be put on the spot, so that you don't have to come up with something 
in the instant that you know you've sort of been hit by this and it sucks that we we need to be this vigilant but you know that's i think it's just kind of goes with the territory sometimes yeah it, 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 yes <laughs> you agree <laughs> I kind of like I, I'm thinking about you know the the whole concept of insurance and how you know it's it's there just in case mm-hmm. and how much more comfortable I feel when I know the boundaries of a situation and I know I'm prepared for something. Yeah, like there's nothing worse than a situation that I have no concept of. Um, when Ed first moved in with me, I was totally freaking out because having never lived with a partner before, I was like, well. What the fuck? What's it going to be like? Yeah. Be like it could be terrible. I've had some fairly disastrous roommate experiences, which is a whole nother long story. I can't imagine you having terrible roommates. You're so nice and easy to get along with. Well, I mean, I like to think I am, but I'm also not like hyper vigilant on tidying, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also I call that dirt blindness. <laughs> <laughs> I am also, (laughs) because I tend to be fairly laid back, I'm like, sure, person I've never met, but who was recommended to me by some friends of my grandparents at church. (laughs) We can, we can split an apartment, sure. So stuff like that. Hmm. Yeah, fairly disastrous roommate experiences. Well, Um, I think it only takes a couple of, you know, a couple of, of really disarming and blindsiding experiences to, you know, r- develop almost a trauma around these events. Yeah. That, you know, if you've had, say, two holidays in a row where some person in your family has, you know, commented on what a giant fucking whale you are, um, that's going to, you know, you're going to start dreading that holiday interaction because you're going to start expecting that that's going to happen. Yes. And I think, yeah, having having something sort of locked and loaded in advance, even if it's something really prim and, and fucking, you know, tight-assed, like, you know, I will thank you very much not to discuss my body in, you know, as though it is your public property. And um, you can say it in that little voice. You yeah. can. Yeah. You can say it in, like, a Muppet voice if it helps you. <laughs> I mean, whatever, oh, whatever. The best mental image of Elmo. <laughs> I mean, whatever works for you. But having something like that on tap, you know, for you know, prior is a huge. I mean, that's that's easily as important as having an ally either immediately present or you know across the country, but contactable via phone or the internet. That, well, you, know, you have to be your own ally, and part of yeah. being your own ally is, you know, standing up for yourself in these situations the way you would stand up for somebody else. Yeah. I mean, if it helps to disassociate like that, stop and think for a minute. What if somebody was saying this to your favorite relative? Yeah. What would? Yeah, and that's that's a really good example. You know, like if your most beloved aunt was being, you know, fat bashed by, you know, two of your cousins you probably would not stand by and let that happen. You would go up and and tell them, you know, this is totally unacceptable. And you kind of have to, you know, remember your worth, even if you're basically alone um, in, you know, your fat acceptance in that moment, your worth being stood up for as well, even if you're the only one doing the standing up. We're really sort of enculturated to avoid awkward moments. Yes, and And confrontation. 
Yeah, and it is an awkward moment when you tell someone they're not allowed to speak to you that way. But that's where the practice comes in. And I think we have to come to this comfort level within ourselves that awkward moments are not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. You have the awkward moment. You know, chances are good the other person is embarrassed and or offended, but you've Mm -hmm. stood up for yourself. And they're probably also not going to want to rock the boat. So then you, you know, you go back to having your pie or whatever it is, and the moment is past. I feel like we have sort of particularly around conversations about bodies and food and dieting, we have these sort of canned scripted responses that we just automatically expect. Yeah. You know, like if someone starts talking about, oh, this pie is so sinful, um, everyone in the room is supposed to be like, oh, my God, yes, it's so terrible. You know, I'm dieting, you know, starting tomorrow. Um, that this is, you know, these are sort of these canned, we don't even have to listen to them because we already know what the response is. And I think when you have someone who is like, you know, food has no moral value, guys. It's it's like the needle comes off the record (laughs) in that moment because people are like, wait, wait, we weren't actually trying to think or have a conversation about the pie. We were just saying shit that you say. It's, It's similar, like, if you find yourself in a situation with family where someone makes a fat joke. And the scripted response that everyone expects of you is you're supposed to laugh. Like, even if you're fat, you're supposed to laugh because that's what you do. You're not supposed to be like, wow, that's really offensive because nobody knows how to respond that way. Yeah. Yeah. Like nobody knows how to, because again, this is, this is something that, you know, one of those things that, well, we all just assume we agree on this and, you know, this is because you're confronting conventional wisdom. It is a very, you know, sort of screech moment where everyone has to stop and be like, oh, OK, I have to think about this for a second because I don't know what the fuck just happened because I wasn't actually really, you know, thoroughly considering the scenario when I said whatever it was I said about sinful pie or about, you know, the lady who was so fat that she, you know, broke a chair or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I, and that is, that is culturally awkward and it can be confrontational. I think it's also important because I think the nice thing about awkward moments like that is people hate them. And <laughs> so if you give them that moment, they are that much less likely to ever make a fat joke in your presence again, because they don't want a repeat of the awkwardness. I think we're both a fan of that. And yeah. I mean, it's the the whole, you know, more flies with honey thing is certainly true in some situations, mm-hmm. but sometimes not every moment has to be an educational moment. Sometimes you just want them to shut up so you can eat your pie. Yeah. And that's part of it too. Like I, I do apologize for this being such an American centric podcast. I mean, given Thanksgiving, but it applies, I think to any large family gathering, whether it's a family reunion or, you know, Hanukkah or any other festival type situation Kwanzaa, centered around don't, food. Don't, don't forget Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa, <laughs> Kwanzaa Yule. Um, <laughs> yes, Yule. We can't forget Yule. Ed and I sometimes call it, um, God, it's gotten a little outrageous. It's um, Christmas Kwanzaa. Chris, no, it's Christmas Hanukkah Kwanzaa Yule. <laughs> because we pretty much just start at Halloween and go to New Year's. Yeah. And it's like a festival of turkey and mashed potatoes and pulled pork and cream corn and delightfulness. And that's, that's, it's not one of the questions we got, but can we talk about eating in public? Yeah, let's talk about that. 
Because there is sort of that notion that other people are policing your plate. And I'm kind of at the point where I don't give a shit. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm going to yeah. put the stuff on my plate that I want to eat. And that's what I'm going to eat. And I'm not really a dessert-centric person. So I'm going to go back and have some more cream corn and acre peas while other people are having, you know, cake or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, eat what you want. Yeah. And even as you are aware that other people may be judging you for that, there's, there comes a point where you have to stop letting it affect what you do with your plate. Particularly if you're dealing with, it's one thing if you're dealing, if you're dealing with family, well, there might be, you know, it might come back on you at some point. Um, if you're dealing with, you know, sort of more strangers in public, yeah. this is this is other people's baggage, man. And it's not like it's, you know, these are people who will ever affect your life in any other way ever again. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're dealing with that sort of, you know, just public consumption in front of family with, you know, when you feel like there's some degree of maybe silent judgment that's going on as opposed to overt food policing, that's uncomfortable. But at the same time, your only real response to it is to eat happily and not let it bug you. Because if it's the best potato salad in the world, then that's more important than somebody else's judgment. Yeah, it's more important than, you know, Uncle Jack's you know, sort of frowning at the amount of, of potato salad you've put on your plate. Yeah. Um, because, uh, you know, if Uncle Jack isn't going to say anything, he isn't going to say anything no matter what. And who gives a shit if he thinks you put too much on your plate? It's the best potato salad in the world. Exactly. He's just jealous of your ability to consume potato salad. <laughs> <laughs> and it works, it works in reverse at the same time, too. I mean, if you don't put a lot on your plate because you're not particularly hungry mm-hmm. and somebody asks you if you're dieting, as kind of horrible as that is, mm-hmm. you know, it's, that, that's not like some sort of moral obligation on your part to then eat more. Right. You know, you do not, you have no patriotic obligation at Thanksgiving mm-hmm. or at any other holiday or festival type gathering. And, and that doesn't and, matter if you're at home or in a restaurant because, you know, not everybody cooks at home. It's also sort of, you know, worth noting that it's extra subversive if you're not eating that much and someone says, oh, are you on a diet? And you say, no, I'm just not that hungry. Yeah. That itself is sort of a subversive movement that, you know, the idea that, oh, you know, you can be fat and not be dieting, but maybe not eating everything in sight either. So, you know, that, again, is is a way of sort of shutting down that conversation with before it even happens. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite questions came from Sweet and Fat. Mm-hmm. I always get clothes from well-meaning relatives who have no idea what size my fat must be. Uh-huh. Is it gift card so out of the question? <laughs> I have so much experience with this. <laughs> I, yeah. My family does, very rarely gives me clothes, and it's almost exclusively, like, much older relatives at this point mm-hmm. who really have no idea what size my fat is. Yeah. But, like, my sort of strategy for that when people were still trying to give me clothes is to be honest about what size clothes I wear. Yeah. You know, again, laying the groundwork. You know, mom... I wear a size XYZ in most things. If you're mm-hmm. interested in getting me clothes, this is where, you know, 
I buy them from, and this is the size. For me, it's 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 been twin problems of a stuff not being in my size, and b stuff not being things I'd actually wear. Oh God, yes. And I feel like I feel like the 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 resistance to gift carding, which I love a fucking gift card, man. I love yeah. the shit out of a fucking gift card. Can... I feel like they're really personal because then the idea is here is something for you to do with as you will. Yeah. And I think the resistance is often the feeling like you don't actually have a package of something to hand someone, which, again, I would be much happier with a tiny envelope than a box of shit that I'll never wear. Yeah. And, you know, it, I, I don't I, I kind of like wish people could get over that a little bit quicker. But for the most part, you know, my mom used to get me clothes all the time. And my mom actually had a very keen grasp of my style. Mm-hmm. So sometimes stuff would be iffy on the fit, but the style was always good, which sort of makes you feel good. Like, oh, this person actually does know me. Yeah. As opposed to getting clothes that both don't fit and are clearly things that I would never wear like yeah. um, you know there are members of Dennis's family who will get me like a skirt or <laughs> better yet a pair of like pants <laughs> and you know I'm sort of like wow you know you've seen me for years have I ever been in pants have I ever been in separates I'm always in a I dress I was say it's separates I mean like you just rarely yeah. wear them I am always in a dress usually with a cardigan if you want to get me a dress or a cardigan, we or a scarf. A scarf is always safe because I love scarves. Maybe um, a belt. Yes. Well, belts are iffy because I'm really, you know, I'm very apple-y. So well, if they're stretchy. Yeah, belts depend on, be, belt. it's a belt-by-belt belt scenario there. <laughs> um, but generally speaking, scarves are safe, cardigans are safe. Uh, because cardigans can be, you know, I, I can sort of multi-size cardigans. I can yeah. fit XL cardigans and I can fit 3X cardigans depending on circumstances um because i like accessories i love accessories um but it just sort of blows my mind where i'll get this stuff and think you know like excuse me if it's coming from a more immediate family member i'm comfortable being like you know what this isn't gonna fit and i don't really like it yeah excuse me i just had a little coughing fit (laughs) i muted for that one um if it's coming from a family member i don't know that well I'm way, it's way harder for me to bluntly look at this person that I see maybe once a year and be like, yeah, I don't like this and it's totally the wrong size. That's when I tend to smile and say thank you. And then afterwards, speak to a family member who is closer to that family member, yeah. you know, and make sure they know how much I appreciate it. But that next year, if they are going to go this, you know, clothing route, maybe a gift card would be more appropriate. Yeah. And I, I've actually done the same thing, and normally I wind up bringing those clothes to a clothing swap, and somebody else gets brand new clothes and is thrilled with them. Yeah. So, you know, that's, I mean, the size thing is just sort of ridiculous, because I think, you know, we've we've both talked in many different places about the fact that if you're not actually a fat person, you know, the, the plus sizes are like this <laughs> this hoary underworld of, of mystery and intrigue and what does it mean and what's a 1X versus a, a 22 and why are there no odd numbers and what and is a W? Do why is there a W why sometimes? There a w? And sometimes there is why? no W. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like people literally will pull something out and be like, well, that looks big enough. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I think people do that too, but I think sometimes people lie about their size. I mean, that's one reason there's no weight on your driver's license in Florida. Yeah. Because people were lying people would about lie. it. lie, yeah. It's, it's a useless measurement for so many people because everybody's different. So I think also, you know, somebody's like, oh, I wear a size 18. And really they wear a size 18 at one store that runs big. Yeah. And so that sort of false thing is set up. And plus, I think people don't want to be insulting. I mean, when you go into a plus size store and you buy the largest size they have to give to a relative, you are acknowledging their fat assery. Yeah. And which, again, though, and for the record, it makes me wonder, why not just give them a fucking gift card? Yeah. Because then you get to sidestep all of the potential, I don't want to offend this person. Because honestly, if you, shit, if, you get it, if you get it too small, it's offensive and upsetting. If you get it too big, it's offensive and upsetting. So unless you're damn motherfucking sure <laughs> about the size this person wears, it's just not worth, you know, the potential heartache. On, yeah. I mean, you're trying to give them a gift, which you're, you know, ostensibly you're trying to make them happy. Now, I'm sure that there are backhanded gifts. Um and I've heard many tales of this from, from various people over the years of, like, moms who will get them clothes that are, like, one or two sizes too small on purpose. This bleeds into Desert Hooker's comment mm-hmm. beautifully. We, man, sometimes we are good at segue. <laughs> <laughs> Deflecting family talk about weight and gifts of diet stuff. Oh, my God. I can honestly say I've never had a diet-related gift. Although, no, wait, I'm wrong. Do you know what I got one year for Christmas? But what? I did ask. I did ask for it, so this is on me. What? I got a thigh master. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> it was not my was only gift. I should note. <laughs> That's good. It was proposed to me as a child that my gift that year for my birthday should be Weight Watchers. Oh. Which, especially as a child, is like, I don't even know what to want Barbies. That's um, so depressing. <laughs> yeah, that was not a shining moment. But, um, you know, I, I recognize that it comes from a loving place, but in retrospect. Um, and I know that there are people who, who give family members diet books. I'd like to recommend my book, Lessons from the Fatosphere. As a Christmas present, perfect Christmas present. Get uh, your whole, like your whole family, will benefit from reading this book. Ah, uh, I didn't even tell Leslie to say that. No, I get nothing from that. A friend a- of mine, aside from aside from you know the the beaming pride of Marianne, which shines out over the land and warms us all. A friend of mine <laughs> who is not at all fat um, was last year like in some degree of difficulty about this. He was like, I would like to, you know, show my support and buy your book. And I think it'd be great to give to my mother, but that would be calling her a fat ass. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so maybe there is that, but your fat family members know they're fat. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean for this to turn into an infomercial about my book. Um, <laughs> But, you know, if if you do get some kind of diet-related gift, I I don't know. I don't know if I could smile and say thanks for that. I might. I think, I think it depends heavily on the gifting culture of the family. Yeah. And I have noted that there are dramatic differences. Like, I grew up, I mean, we all grew up in our own families, and we assume yeah. our family is like everyone else's. But I've noticed, like, in my family, 
you know, if generally speaking, you know, even I can't honestly say that there are many gifts that I get that I'm not thrilled about. But if like my my mom loves getting me like accessories and stuff since she doesn't really get me clothes anymore because I've become so impossible to buy for with yeah. clothes because, you know, I have very specific tastes. Um, but she'll get me like a purse or something. And there have been, you know, with my mom, I can she she'll say if you don't like it, we'll return it. We'll go shopping with the return, you know, with the store credit and we'll get you some other stuff. And, you know, I believe that she's okay with that. I know she's disappointed if she didn't manage to get me something, like, right out of the gate that I love. But then we get to go and return it and get something else, and that's fun, you know, time together, too, which is a nice gift in and of itself. Yeah. So, but then there's other families where you just don't, you like, you you don't question the gift. (laughs) Like, you say thank you no matter what. Like, if someone gives you, like, a decaying rat in a box, you have to be like, oh, it's lovely. I've Thank wanted you. one for so long. Yeah. And there are, you know, we have to, I have to acknowledge that there are families where that's just, that's how you roll. That, yeah. you know, someone gets you something, regardless of what it is, no matter how much you hate it, you have to say you like it. And, you know, even if you burn it in the yard that night, <laughs> you know, you have, <laughs> in the moment, you have to be grateful for it. And... As a result, I think that this is an incredibly, you know, sort of personal and individual conundrum. Yeah. That, you know, as I've said, some there have been, there have been, oh, best, best ever was one of Dennis's aunts got me a pair of earrings one year. My ears are not pierced. <laughs> they never have been. <laughs> Actually, they were for like six months, I think, in the fifth grade, but they were crooked, and I let them grow back in, and I just didn't really care about wearing earrings. So I think never... that's such a common thing, though, that if you don't specifically notice it about a person, they're like, oh, earrings are safe. Everyone's ears are pierced. The like, nice... Well, that was that was a really nice thing for me because this was not a person that normally I would be like, no, thank you for a gift. But that was awesome because I could be like, this is like actually physically useless to me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like this is not. And I mean, I kind of some of the people in Dennis's extended family who get me gifts every year, I almost want to write them like a nice letter and be like, you know what? Just say hi and give me a hug when you see me. Stop buying me <laughs> because it just makes it uncomfortable for both of us. And it's, you know, like, let's just, you know, be friendly and happy to see each other and, and, and not worry about, you know, having to buy crap because obviously we don't know each other well enough to do this in an effective way. <laughs> but, yeah, that was, you know, that was one of those those you know, times when I felt completely justified, rare times when I felt completely justified being like, yeah, no, this is, you know, no one who even, you know, no one in my, I I don't even, I don't even know what I do with them, you know, like, it's not like there's any other use for a pair of earrings. The the crafter in me begs to differ, but, (laughs) like, you put those fuckers on a hat. (laughs) I don't even have a hat. (laughs) Or a necklace. Depends on what kind of glue you have, Andy. <laughs> but that's but yeah, me. that's different. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <laughs> oh so my. it does depend on your individual family culture. I think that, again, when you've done the the sort of pre work of laying boundaries, it lessens the chance that that's going to happen. 
which is something we probably should have started talking about in August instead of November. Yeah. But... <laughs> well, now people can remember for next year. Yeah. Well, like, if you start now, maybe it'll sink in by the next winter holiday season. Mm. I think that specifically diet gifts are are unusually tough because yeah. that's, you know, that's not just like, oh, this is a sweater six sizes too small and ugly. Um, you know, that's a question. That's almost like, a, you know, like, we noticed that you're fat. <laughs> But we're just concerned about your health. <laughs> you know what? You know, I do know what I would do. I would be like, thank you for thinking of me. I appreciate your concern. Let me recommend some websites to you. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just, and particularly if you're opening this in a room full of people, which, you know, a lot of people yeah. do, the sort of communal unwrappings, Um that can be put you in a really difficult situation where everyone is staring at you and you're supposed to being like, yay, I, I didn't know that it was possible to cast off this fat shell and become a true, <laughs> thin, you know, valid person. Because um, that's <laughs> what people are expecting. And when you open it and you have everyone looking at you like, see, you know, we're just trying to help. It's hard to not want to get up and be like, fuck all of y'all, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I think that there has to be, I think that your suggestion of coming up with sort of a catch-all in advance. So if you open something that is a diet book or if you open something that is a pack of, you know, fat blasting DVD workout, you know, we hate fat people, die, fatty, die <laughs> DVDs or whatever. Um, if you open something so that you have, movies. you know, you have something you know, constructive that you can be like, wow, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice that, you know, you thought of me, but I don't really think I am interested in this, you, you know, know, or, or did you keep the receipt? <laughs> you know what? If you can't say it, get it printed on a card. Yes. <laughs> and then you can, oh, so casually, slide them the little card that says, you know, yes, I'm a big fat fatty. <laughs> I'm Preferably fine with that. Maybe a card with a really obese reindeer or snowman on it. <laughs> Part of me wants to rewrite Rudolph the Rando's reindeer right now. <laughs> Rudolph the fatty reindeer. Yeah, the fat-ass reindeer. <laughs> oh, we might have to do that in the future. Had a very profound ass. <laughs> okay, that's that's totally a collaboration. <laughs> I don't know if we'll sing it, but maybe we can write lyrics to it. Oh, my God. Oh, Yeah, okay. again, I, I think that part of maintaining sanity in, in those circumstances, though, is being able to sort of, you know, keep things in perspective and be able to, you know, chuckle even inwardly at the scenario that, you know, if Great Aunt Doris gives you, um, you know, a... a I don't know, a bottle of Xenadrin or something. <laughs> they just to sort of recognize, like, this is the most absurd thing that could possibly have happened to me today. And, you know, pick up and, and go on from there. I, I think having some ability to laugh at it is is vital. Um, I was talking with a coworker, you know, that, you know, if your options are to laugh or cry, the thing that gets you through the day is, and really laughing about it. Yeah. And, you know, knowing that you've got a community to come back to 
mm-hmm. of people who will say, oh, my fucking God, I can't believe they got you, you yeah. know, a lifetime membership to whatever fatty, anti-fatty camp thing. <laughs> you know, and I also, I mean, eBay, there are people who will buy these things. Exactly. That's true. Or you could just donate it. That's usually yeah. what I've done. You know, when I've gotten really weird-ass gifts, I, you know, usually will say, you know, thank you. And then just when I get home, I throw it in, like, the donate bag, because I always have a donate bag lying around pretty much yeah. at all times. Because, <laughs> you know, it's someone really someone is going to have, you know, someone will have a use for it. Now, if it's something like Xenodrin, which is, like, evil, then, yeah, I might say, like, flush it down the toilet to, you know, rid the world even of a little piece of that horror. But... You know, for, if it's just like a really ugly dress, then you know, somebody some taste is is very subjective. So yes, your ugly dress may be someone else's hot shit. Yes. Um, the last sort of question that came in on Twitter um, was sort of covered by some of the others, but I just hate it when I'm trying to enjoy the culinary delights of the holiday season, then the dieting tart talk starts. Um, in that situation, again, I think you have to be confident enough in your own perspective mm-hmm. to enjoy your food anyway. Yeah. I mean, if it's if, if other people's diet talk in in this limited situation, I mean, it's, it's hard at the holidays. I mean, at the office where it's inescapable and constant, mm. you know, I'm a big supporter of speaking up and asking people to stop. At the holidays where you get it once a year and you are not obligated other than through family obligation to be there, mm-hmm. um, I think it depends a whole lot more on, on your family dynamic and structure. And I think you have a lot more freedom to have a variety of reactions, one of which is just, I see these people once a year. I'm not going to let this ruin my enjoyment of Granny June's potato and cheese casserole. Do you know what I do? What do you do? You um, text message me. Well, I text you message you, but in the moment when diet talk is like actively happening, um, you and I have talked about Fantasia before. Fantasia is this, you know, 1940s <laughs> Disney film. And one of the, you know, characters in Fantasia is this hippo in a tutu um, who, you know, dances. And when diet talk starts, um, it doesn't really, because my family is so small, if it starts, I shut it down immediately because I'm a bitch like that. But yeah. if it's, you know, in with Dennis's extended family and I'm just not comfortable doing that, um, I literally have this sort of like film reel in my head of the fat dancing hippo from Fantasia dressed in a reindeer costume dancing to um, uh, the Dance of Sugar Plum Fairies from the Nutcracker. And it's it's like this, it literally is like, you know, you know how like like the whole Charlie Brown's teacher thing where people will start talking about their diet and I'll be like, film time. <laughs> and I just imagine, I'll just sort of stare at the ceiling and imagine the dancing hippo and, you know, sort of hearing the music inside my head and I don't even hear anyone else. This makes me sound like an absolute psychopath, but you know what? It fucking works. What is, <laughs> it, um, what is that hippo's name? We Isn't know her name this. like Hyacinth? Or, or it starts with an H. I think and somebody somebody commented on an earlier fat cast because um, they actually have one of the like a figurine of yeah. her. Um, so we'll have to go back and look at that. But honestly, in all series, I, and I've done this for like as long as I've had family interactions with my husband's family. Um, 
it started one year where I'm like, I need to think about something fat positive, funny, and distracting. And Sugar Plum, that Sugar Plum Fairy song gets stuck in my head all season long anyway. Um, so I just literally started once. I'm like, what's, and I thought of the hippo, and I thought of the song, and I thought of a reindeer costume, and I thought, oh, this is pretty funny. And it makes me sound like Homer Simpson, like, you know, where he, like, is imagining a monkey driving a small car in circles. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of what it is, but you know what? Homer is a very chill, you know, happy guy most yeah (laughs) so that that kind of is you know my in in that instant to just sort of drown it out and I think if you have something ridiculous to think about to distract you um it it may not be a dancing hippo but you know whatever it is if you think about you know um you know something pleasant that you're looking forward to or, you know, something awesome that just recently happened or if you think about, you know, sometimes I think about shoes. Yeah. Or, you know, think about something you're writing or, you know, an article that you read recently, anything that sort of just lets you tune out without being overtly, obviously rude about it. Because sometimes when you're actually sitting at dinner, you can't just get up and be like, I'm going to go eat in the other room because that would be very weird. Part of my family celebration involves not just the actual meal, but an extended period of everyone just sort of hanging out and not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I don't enjoy my family. It's that I suck at sitting there not doing anything. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> that's, that's my most hated part of any family holiday gathering is the long periods of sitting around doing nothing. And with... My husband's family usually involves watching the little children, like, just wander around and and behave like children, Mm -hmm. Um, which I'm sure is entertaining to a lot of people, but it's really not entertaining to me. So I'm mostly sitting there, like, you know, like you said, thinking about shoes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Or football will be another popular option. Um, I bring a notebook. Smart. Which... I have found to give less offense than bringing an actual book. Because if I bring a book, people are like, well, you're not interacting. Yeah. But if I bring a notebook, I can scribble stuff down and continue to kind of talk to people. Yeah, and you look all, you know, a notebook actually looks sort of constructive and important, whereas a book looks like you're just ignoring everyone. Yeah. <laughs> That's a really good, I might, I might steal that idea from you, actually. It's, I mean, it, it gives me some, like, an outlet, and it lets me still participate in their preferred activity. I think right. one of the really big things about the holidays is compromise. Yes. And this Thanksgiving, um, we're having Thanksgiving with my family, but we're also having a smaller gathering that Saturday. Um, Thanksgiving, too, the you know, revenge of the electric boogaloo turkey or whatever. Um <laughs> And because <laughs> because at that point we're having people come to our home, mm-hmm. our rules apply. That yeah. may be something people want to consider too. Change the turf. Mm-hmm. Because then you can tell people when you invite them, listen, we're having Thanksgiving at my house this year. We're having Kwanzaa at my house this year. We're having, I don't know, a million different things at my house this year. We're having an unnamed holiday dinner yes, at my house this year. Specified winter celebration. Mm-hmm. Please don't bring this kind of discussion there. Yeah. I try to keep that out of my home. Mm-hmm. You you can set your boundaries, I think, a lot more explicitly and a lot more firmly when mm-hmm. people are coming into your space. 
You can also, and this is just me being incredibly self-centered, but you can also determine the food yeah, that you yeah. have. Because, you know, I mean, everybody does holiday meals differently. Everybody has different traditions. Um, you know, there are people who will hear you talk about eating pulled pork who are probably horrified <laughs> by yeah. the idea. You oh, know, well, once that was, that, I'm sorry, I skipped that one. Um, anything talking about how family treats you in holiday meals would be great. And if you dare to bring your own dish. If you have it at your house, you're not daring anything because it's your house. But, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm bringing my own dish to wherever I'm going to go if it's a potluck. You know, I because... think that even if it's not, I think that there's room to do that because mm-hmm. you can always couch that in, oh, I was trying to help. You know, or you yeah. can play dumb about it and be like, oh, you know, I wasn't sure if I should bring anything. But, you know, I really love this casserole, so I thought I would bring it. I think um, if you're also dealing with specific food needs, like if you're a vegan and you're not right. sure what's going on, or if you've got crazy food allergies like I do, then you make enough for everyone mm-hmm. and then say, oh, you know, I have this specific food requirement, whatever. I wanted everyone to enjoy this sampling of what I usually eat. Yeah. And I think that that is a very sort of safe I mean yeah it's true depending on your family there may be someone who's offended by that you know but you know you got to look out for yourself particularly if you're dealing with dietary needs or if you're dealing with the fact that maybe you know the food that your family is going to serve just isn't appealing to you um you know my my husband and this astonishes me is not a big fan of turkey um, so usually when we do uh, Thanksgiving here, he will get a um, tofurkey and will wind up eating that. And he's not even just a strict vegetarian. He just, you know, is very particular about meat that, you know, he only likes certain kinds of meat. Um, he's usually the only one who eats it. And, you know, whatever. It's, it's you know, if, if that's how, I mean, that part of the, the be- bonus there is that because it's our home you know we can do that we can have sort of a multiplicity of of turkey like dishes um that people can pick out if they want to but i think that you know bringing something as long as you bring it if you're bringing literally like your own plate um that's going to be a probably going to be a little more awkward than if you bring something that you know maybe not enough for everybody because if there's 20 people there that would be a lot well yeah but if you bring enough for you know other people to sort of try and if you couch it in the guise of you know i'm bringing this to share um i think that that will probably tamp down on the drama and odds are if it's food that they don't like they're probably not going to touch it anyway and you got nothing to worry about yeah I don't, I don't, I feel weird about, like, vegetarian products that are specifically meant to mimic meat. Like, so, like, tofurkey and and things mm-hmm. that are, like, fake chicken. I'm like, I like tofu. Yeah. Tofu I've with never, some gravy on it. I don't know about that. That might I be was, yeah, I was, I was a strict-ass vegetarian for years and years and years. And I never got, because I just was, I didn't, you know, I didn't want fake meat. I didn't want meat at all. That was. Yeah where I was at that point in my life. And, you know, I still don't, like, you know, Dee will get, like, fake chicken patties in preference to actual chicken patties. And, you know, I think, hey, if you like it, good on you. I just don't get it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, like, it it creates some, like, confusion for me. Like, I, obviously, a lot of people love it, and that's cool. I just am kind of like, I I don't really understand what's going on there. Yeah. But whatever, no judgment. If you like yeah. it, eat it. But um, the one thing I was going to say is that, you know, a lot of times for, because we um, switch off 
Christmases now between my family and my husband's family. And my family tends to do pretty over-the-top, you know, traditional Christmas. I think last year we did have a ham instead of a turkey, but usually it's a turkey and all of the standard stuff. And then usually there's some, like, extra you know, unusual sides as well. I mean, they go pretty nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I've, I've worked really hard to make Thanksgiving dinner that I do pretty simple just because I don't want to have to do a, a ton of work, you know, ahead of time because it's not that much fun. For, like, peeling a million potatoes is not that much fun for me. Yeah. But, um, you know, I found that other holiday meals or even just family meals – <clears throat> excuse me, at other, you know, sometimes I'm I'm literally at a point where I'm like, wow, this food is bad. <sighs> and I kind of, like, I don't always know how to handle that, I guess. Like, what do you do? Um, I am, I guess, kind of a picky eater. I'm not really a picky eater. I don't like onions and peppers. I think they chew funny. Um, so it's a textural <laughs> thing. And I will sometimes, when faced with that, you know, eat a small portion and then thank people for their lovely meal and then go get a hot dog somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think you need to make yourself sick, but it's probably also not very mismanners to be like, no. (laughs) I just, I've never come up with a way to, aside from just claiming that I'm not hungry and then being hungry, um, I've never come up with a delicate way to be like, yeah, this is not I don't delicious. think there I don't think there is a delicate way. I had one non specific, I'm not gonna name it, um, meal with someone else's family once and the only thing that was at all palatable was the broccoli. And there wasn't that much of it because I guess people assume that you're gonna have like one or two little yeah. carrots and then you're done. And I swear to God, I'm sitting there thinking, like, is it's going to be terrible if I take, like, five big spoonfuls and just clear out this bowl. <laughs> but it's the only thing that I can eat here. Like, everything else is horrible. And, you know, that, it's, it's, it's frustrating as hell, man. Particularly if it's a situation where you're, like, sort of trapped with that family for, you know, the next several hours. And you can't always just be like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting up McDonald's. <laughs> just in case, maybe carry a little, like, cereal bar or something in your purse. Yeah, that's smart. <laughs> emergency, that's smart. emergency food. Yeah. But any part to, of that. I used to carry, like, um, before, before I found out I was allergic to everything in it, <laughs> I used to carry, like, little granola bars um, for blood sugar issues. And You're allergic to granola bars? I'm allergic to almost all the grains in them, plus the nuts. Are you like a cat secretly? <laughs> I'm not allergic to meat. I'm not allergic to, like, most vegetables. You're I'm totally allergic- a cat. <laughs> yeah. I'm allergic to beans and to nuts and to most grains, not wheat. Wheat, I'm fine with. Everything else, no. Um, I'm allergic to asparagus. I'm allergic to coffee. Um, <laughs> tuna is on there, but I eat tuna anyway because, oh, my God, tuna. Um, soy, <laughs> I'm allergic to. So a lot of the, like, vegetarian products that you get that are protein enhanced with soy, I can't yeah. do. Um, wow. Citrus. Eggs. Cow milk. 
I'm not lactose intolerant. I'm allergic to the fucking you're like You're like a giant fucking tiger or something. Yeah, I have this huge list of things. The first time um, I got the list, I had to do an elimination diet where I didn't eat anything on the list for two Mm. weeks. And I stood in Publix and I wept. (laughs) God. And this was the genesis of us getting like into the whole organic food thing because yeah. it's it's simple. Like when we control what ingredients we put into the food I make, mm-hmm. I know how allergic I'm going to be to it. And yeah. I'm allergic to shellfish. Shellfish is currently the only one that will kill me, but roasted peanuts will make me wheeze, and that reaction is starting to get a little worse. I have an but EpiPen. What about boiled peanuts? Boiled peanuts, no reaction. Apparently, um, with peanuts, the different ways of processing them has different chemical um, effects on the, the peanut itself, and people respond differently to them. That's like the most fascinating thing I've ever heard. I know. A friend of mine who has a lot of food issues and food allergies was telling me about it um, shortly after I was, you know, people started figuring out why I was sick every time I ate anything. Mm. And it blew my mind. I was like, that is so fascinating. Wow. Yeah. I mean, but this is this is a good example of the fact that any kind of group meal can be loaded for a lot of different reasons, you know, reasons that are cultural, social, that have to do with childhood baggage, that have to do with, you know, basic food needs, whether they're a choice to be vegan or whether they're allergy related. Um, You know, these, these, I sort of, the point I'm trying to make is that I want everybody to know that it is normal to be totally freaked out by this, you know, by any kind of upcoming big family meal because there are so many issues all sort of flying together at at that point. Honestly, the most uncomfortable holiday meal I've ever had had nothing to do with being fat. It had to be do with, I was dating a guy who had a fairly traditional Sicilian family. Mm -hmm. So their Christmas meal was Christmas Eve. They did a feast of the fishes. And everything came in a shell. And even anything that they had made that wasn't explicitly shellfish had mm-hmm. been cooked with it or with the same things. Oh and I, I had some salad and a couple of breadsticks. Yeah. And one of the family members was allergic to garlic. Mm-hmm. So we spent that meal kind of like both of us kind of sad and eating salad. Yeah. That is very sad. It's what I mean, what are you going to do? It's a huge cultural event, and my specific food allergies kind of took a back seat to still well, participating in the event. And there's so much pressure to, to all of this, you know, that everyone, particularly when you're dealing with holidays, that everyone's supposed to be happy. You know, you're supposed to be avoiding confrontation, um, even more so than usual, Um you know, I mean, that there's there's just so much pressure involved, and I think that we'd all do well to sort of recognize that, you know, a certain amount of anxiety is normal and probably unavoidable for the most part. But the best thing that we can do is, you know, prepare yourself in advance, try to have an ally on hand, um, or, you know, at least within, you know, contactable you know, via electronics (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, to just sort of, you know, keep, keep your sense of humor and know that, you know what, I'm not stuck here for the rest of my life. Eventually the holiday will end, (laughs) you know, and, and just, you know, 
muddle through it. I mean, I know that I've had good, even with the same groups of people, I've had great holidays and I've yeah. had mediocre holidays depending on different, you know, circumstances at the time. So I think that I think that it's doable. I think that it's useful. I think this podcast is useful. And any ongoing conversations are useful, if only because they, they help us realize, you know what, we're not all sort of suffering yeah. alone in silence here. You know, that this is, you know, yeah, there are lots of people out there who have had an Uncle, Uncle Dick who was like, wow, you've gotten a lot fatter since last I saw you. Yeah. You know, that you're not the only person that that has ever happened to. So, and that, even even though it doesn't undo the the shitty experience, it, it kind of makes you feel a little bit better to know that, you know, you have, there is camaraderie there. And I want to acknowledge, too, that, I mean, we're adults. You don't have to go if you are only going to have a miserable time. Yeah. The thing that keeps me going back for family holidays is that I genuinely love my family and I enjoy spending time with them. So if I can get to a place where I can negotiate these, you know, rough areas and Mm -hmm. sort of focus on the things where we're enjoying each other's company, Mm -hmm. you know, it's easier to recover from that remark. Yeah. You know, whatever someone has unthinkingly said or, you know, we've been sitting here for half an hour and they're talking about how this is going to go straight to their hips. I can kind of step back from that and remind myself why I'm here in the first place. And I I also think that sometimes even just remembering that you have a choice and that if you're there, you've chosen to go and not necessarily because you have to, that in and of itself can, can sort of help give you some perspective. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. Right. I, I happy think we, holidays. <laughs> yeah. Happy fucking holidays, everybody. <laughs> you have been listening to Fatcast. I am Leslie Kenzel. And I am Marianne Kirby. Thanks for Woo. listening. <laughs>